This is Good Morning Comrade. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. Uh, We have Daniel Dominguez. Uh, Daniel, what's going on? Hey, hey, Jeff. Uh, Thanks for having me here. And uh, just to let people know who I am, I'm I'm a socialist. I'm a member of the Democratic Socialists of America in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm also an organizer in the healthcare industry. And I also serve on what we call the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission inside of our organization. So that's the national body that uh, really guides DSA's labor uh, organizing and our orientation towards the broader labor movement. Yeah, I want to talk to you a couple of th- about a couple of things specifically about the DSLC, about the you know DSA strategy towards labor, sort of generally, and then on a couple of specific issues. Uh, so I guess just to kind of kick us off, can you just describe? what the DSLC is and sort of what is the general sort of approach that DSA takes towards labor? What are some, you know, some of the things that's working? Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, I think the story here starts uh, 2017 at our national convention. I was not yet a member, uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've been able to fill in the details through, through uh, comrades who were around at the time. So the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission did not exist prior to 2017. It was a mandate uh, through one of the resolutions that passed. And I think that was with, uh, you know, a growing DSA that recognized that we needed to do labor organizing at some level. Uh, We needed to have a a group of people tasked with guiding that work for DSA. So it's been about three years or almost four years since that passed i've been serving on the steering committee for the uh the last year and a half so i'm i'm almost at the end of my term uh so it's a 12-person steering committee and we represent different regions within dsa uh so for example i uh, i represent uh, the western region which is really just like california and hawaii uh, but we have comrades who represent the Pacific Northwest, the South, the, the uh, Northeast, Midwest, and mountain regions. So um, it's really to be representative of the diversity across our organization. Uh, and also important to note that our steering committee is uh, not, you know, it's in order to get on the steering committee, you basically either have to be a rank and file union member or you can also be a, a staff organizer for a union. And there's a few other uh other requirements that you can meet in order to serve. But um, so, yeah, it's basically 12 people from across the country who were embedded in the labor movement and are dedicated to uh, making sure that DSA has a labor organizing strategy. Now, um, I can get into it if you want, but basically at the moment, there's there's competing strategies within DSA um, about what our labor strategy should be. Yeah, yeah, get into it. I mean, like, just tell a couple of uh, different sort of broad strokes of uh, what what are what are some of the ideas around strategy, and then we can get into some of the campaigns that the DSLC is working on. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, I think that you know, I th- I would divide the debate or the discussion on our, on our strategy into sort of two camps. One of them has you know gained there. It, it was popular, I think, when I came into DSA. I remember hearing about it at the time, so people know it. Uh, may know it by the rank and file strategy. I think there's various different iterations of it. Um, uh, a lot of this is based on Kim, Kim Moody's writings, as far as I know. Uh, but in DSA, it, it, it takes a different, sh- a bit of a different shape. There's an emphasis on rank and file activity, uh, and in particular, industrializing into key sectors. Uh, some of them being uh, uh, teaching, nursing. Um, and other, and then the logistics sector. So that that's in, in a nutshell. That that is one strategy that is advocated for within DSA. Yeah, and now, that was uh, uh, the focus of a lot of the very early work of the the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission, for sure. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, in 2019, we, we you know, the uh, the membership passed a few different labor resolutions that that were supposed to inform our work. Now, it wasn't really a way to prioritize them, and so in the DSLC, it's been our job to, to sort of translate that into you know translate the, the membership, uh, the will of the membership into actual work. Mm. Um, so, but, but before I get into that, I wanted to, to also offer the, the competing labor strategy, which can, you know, I would sum it up as, you know, organizing where you're at, uh, encouraging all of our GSA members to engage in workplace organizing, whether you're working towards uh, uh, an eventual union in the workplace, whether you're just organizing to, to win worker protections. We know that some, you know, if you work in a coffee shop, uh, you know, it may be hard to unionize for several reasons, one of them being that it's, uh, you know, it's it's hard. There's high turnover in that industry. There's, uh, you know, there's just fragmentation. So it makes it hard to build power if you work like at a mom and pop coffee shop, right? Doesn't mean you can't organize. You can organize for better protections. Uh, we saw in the pandemic that a lot of these these types of shops were organizing for things like PPE, hazard pay, just basic uh, like baseline protections. Um, and again, you either you can organize without being in a union. So. Uh, so that, that I, I'm particularly, I, I subscribe to that, that organizing mm -hmm. strategy. I think we need to be do as DSA, as socialists on the left, uh, we need to be doing as much as we can to encourage everyone to organize it. It is a, uh, everyone works, right? Uh, everyone in DSA works. You're yeah, if, you're, if you're in the working class, uh, you work. <laughs> exactly. It's as simple as that, right? So you should be engaging in some level of, of class struggle on the shop floor. Uh, and it, it's, uh, and the reason I, I, I am not particularly fond of the rank and file strategy is just historically, um, it hasn't worked out, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I, I think we've, we've, or we hear a lot of our comrades who advocate for it um, as, as something we're doing. You know, a, a lot of people in the 60s, 70s, 80s industrialized into key sectors like, like warehouse jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, and while they were super militant, and I'm sure they were able to uh, identify other leaders and build up their, you know, sort of shop floor organizing, it just did not translate into broad scale uh, victories for the working class or for the union movement. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so, so the, there's there basically it comes down to there's competing strategies in, in DSA, and we have to learn how to balance that because that's what the membership voted for. We, yeah. we voted for a rank and file strategy, and we also voted for organizing the unorganized. Yeah, so, and and they're not like directly contradictory strategies. There's differences in emphasis here, um, but there's certain like parts of these i mean there's obviously two very different approaches but they can potentially coexist at least at some level now in terms of defining what a you know going all in on one or the other you know i don't know if we even in like dsa would even have the ability to do that at this point but i mean it's something that especially considering that that there is such a you know this is being something that's work being worked out like in real time it's, it's hard to it's hard to like totally commit to one or the other um, so I guess just to move on a little bit to some of the campaigns that, um, is going forward, uh, I, I've been talking a lot on the show about specifically the PRO Act, um, and right now DSA has a pretty large scale campaign to get the PRO Act passed. Can you just talk a little bit about the PRO Act and then we can get into what the specifics of the DSA kind of strategy is? Yeah, yeah, I'll give a, a high-level overview of the PRO Act. It uh, is basically a um, it's an overhaul of the existing labor law regime, which is the National Labor Relations Act, uh, which you know has been amended several times and just over over not always decades. for the better either. <laughs> yeah, hardly ever for the better is, is the problem here. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, just in the last century, it's been amended several times. And you, like you said, usually not in our favor. So uh, what, that's, what that means is that there's just a lot of structural barriers to, mm -hmm. to organizing a union. Right. We're not talking about regular employment law. We're talking about the law when when workers want it on a union and when they're organizing for a union. Um, so there's you know, I'll give you an example of, uh, of, of what it looks like. So currently the, the National Labor Relations Act uh, doesn't, doesn't really have penalties for employers who violate the law mm -hmm. uh you know if, if they if they're cited enough times in, as having it engaged in unlawful labor practices um 
what they're asked to do is put up a notice in their in their break room, right, and letting letting their employees know that they violated the law. And that, that's kind of it. It's, it's a little bit too right? Oops. I, I mean, <laughs> Oops, we I'm did. Sure, oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure it has a an effect, uh, just not a significant enough effect, so that workers can you know you know overcome their fear and hopelessness around organizing union. So uh, as a healthcare organizer or an organizer in the healthcare industry, I, you know, I work on a lot of external organizing. So when we get an inquiry from a worker in a hospital or a community clinic or a nursing home, I follow up with them and, and, and really guide them to, to in, in their way to, to form a union. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I often see, what I've seen in my experience is that workers are, are scared, right? They're scared. They're, they're scared and they, they don't feel a lot of hope. They, they have not seen a lot of victories in the labor movement. Uh, it's not like they, they know many people in unions because union density is at an all-time low. It's hovering around 11%, I think. Yeah. For, it's, even it's, it's even worse in the a, private sector. Yeah, just, it's, it's ridiculously low. It's like 6% or something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so, you know, I see it on a daily basis. It, it's just, it's really, and it's, it's, it's a very real fear that, but it's not, un, you know, it's not unfounded. So, um, it's tough. I have to, you know, my job as an organizer is to give them enough hope that they can move forward and, 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 and hope that they'll see a path to victory. And I think a lot of workers just don't see that. Uh, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I, I would encourage folks to read up on the PRO Act because it, it, it does amend the, the law in significant ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to give a, you know, again, just to give that high level overview, it, it would give, uh, it would, um, implement real penalties for employers who violate the law. Um, one of, the, one of the things that we often see in new organizing campaigns is workers win the union and then the boss just drags out the, the negotiations and eventually with enough time, the, the workers who initially formed the union leave out of desperation and, and, and just lots of hope and they never get their first contract. So. Uh, one of the things that the PRO Act would change is after a year's time, it would force it into mediation, right? And it wouldn't be, it would be compulsory. So the, the employer would be forced to sit down and negotiate. Mm-hmm. It's essentially uh, forcing <clears throat> the boss to negotiate in good faith. Right. Because the contract's right. coming, exactly. whether they like it or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it would also, you know, do, it would do away with right to work laws in a lot of the state. I think currently 27 states have right to work laws. Mm-hmm. Um, would do away with that. That would go a long way towards our goal, I think, as socialists to organize the South, right? A, a historically hostile environment for, for worker organizing. Yeah, you're telling me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you know that intimately. <laughs> I'm just uh, messing with uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I would encourage people to, to read up on it because it is, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it does a lot to, to amend the national labor. Yeah, I can actually direct you to our catalog as well uh, on our back episode with Ryan Kekaris. Uh, look that one up. We went into the PRO Act uh, pretty deeply. Uh, yeah, it, it does so many great things. It outlaws uh, replacement workers, scabs. You know, it, it has protections for um, protections for workers being misclassified, which is a huge deal with these Prop 22s happening in you know California. I mean, I'm, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with that one more than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also problems with with misclassification of misclassification of uh, you know um, migrant workers who might not have protected status in the U.S. Uh, just so many different things that that this pro act mm-hmm. does, which is like not going to solve the labor problem. This is not like a bill to like overthrow the the ruling class <laughs> and inst- implement workers' rule. It's not exactly that, but it's 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 a baby step in the right direction. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely a baby step. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We have Daniel Dominguez from the Democratic Socialist uh, Labor Commission. Uh, he's also a union organizer on the program. Uh, so we're talking a little bit about PRO Act right now. And uh, we, we just kind of did a little quick overview of it. And I wanted to kind of ask you about uh, what's sort of the broad strategy for DSA in this uh, PRO Act campaign. I know we're working with a lot of unions. And uh, I was just on a call and Mindy was sort of like whipping our friend Mindy was whipping people to a phone bank, <laughs> so, uh, which she's very good at, by the way. Uh, so what are some ways that people could get plugged in to support the? What is DSA doing first? And then um, how can people get involved? 
Yeah, so this is, you know, I've been in DSA for a little over two years now, and, and I have to say this is uh, a one-of-a-kind campaign that I've seen so far. So, you know, the ProAct campaign is, you know, the, the ProAct itself is something that has been kicking around, has uh, been kicked around as legislation for the past two years. Uh, and I and I think with the reason we saw real movement is that there's a Democrat in the White House and there's and the Democrats control both houses of the legislature. Uh, right. Not exactly a perfect recipe for overhauling our labor law. But in just his first few few months in office, Joe Biden has signaled that he's, he's willing to listen to the labor movement. He you know, on day one, he fired Peter Robb. The legal counsel for the National Labor Relations Board. He one of the great heels. Make- one of the great heels of the labor movement. He tried to kill Scabby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> so, well, you're trying to destroy an icon, so- buddy. That's not going to work. Scabby's <laughs> going to beat you. <laughs> so on day one, he fired this guy, right? Which is, a, I think, it's a sign that he's he's listening. Uh, nowhere near enough, obviously, but it, it, it's a good sign. Uh, in addition to that, the, and I'm sure Ryan Kecker has talked at length about this, uh, is the painters union has really been leading the charge uh, for the past couple of months, um, slowly building support from the labor movement. And I think as DSA, as socialists who, who want to see, who believe that we need a fighting labor movement to, to see the changes we want. Mm-hmm. It was kind of brainer, right? Uh, we, we we want you know, we see a path to victory, and we and we want to to work on this campaign. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> as the, as a member of the steering committee for the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission, I am part of the campaign steering committee as well. So it's actually a, a, a joint campaign that's being led by the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission and the Green New Deal campaign. So two uh, very important bodies in, in our organization. So it's been a you know about two months since we adopted the campaign. Campaign, and since then we've just seen like tremendous energy behind it. Um, and luckily, we have just the the, ta- the talent of so many experienced organizers who are able to build out this campaign uh, with the real power analysis. Like, who are we targeting? Why are we targeting them? What are our tactics? Um, how do, how are we using this to mobilize our membership? How are we using this to recruit new members, especially people from the labor movement? Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Just to give you an idea of what the campaign looks like in the first few days, we had a big launch call in March. We had Sarah Nelson, Jamal Bowman, and Naomi Klein, as well as several comrades from from, from DSA. Um, uh, and so it was just it was just tremendous. We had over we had nearly fifteen hundred people on the call, which is probably the first time we've had that many people on a national call. Uh, and so we've just been building off of that ever since. Uh, and this week, uh, you know, we're March 22nd now, we are basically having a week of action. A uh, week of action is to have uh, as many people call voters in key states. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, let me explain what I, what I mean by key states. So currently there's five senators in, in uh, there's five senators uh, who are, have not signaled any support for the PRO Act. There's five Democratic so senators, correct? Eight, from Arizona. Oh, sorry, you broke up a little bit. Exactly. Uh, you yeah. broke up a little yeah. bit. Um, so, yeah, thank you. I should... It's okay. You broke up a little bit. Uh, hold on. You there? All right, cool. Yeah, so you, you were just saying that uh, there were five Democratic senators who uh, have not shown support for the PRO Act. Uh, can you go ahead and name them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, my pleasure. We got Kristen Sinema and Mark Kelly from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Warner from Virginia, uh, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, and Angus King from Maine. So we're we're calling voters in those states and encouraging them to call their their senators because they're their their constituents and really putting pressure on them to, uh, to you know vote yes on the pro act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> that that's that's just this week. And and you know I, I want to be be frank about something. And I think most people know this, uh, right? This is probably is not going to pass the Senate without some some degree of filibuster reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and filibuster reform is just it's just been the ire of, of progressives um, and socialists, you know, for for time immemorial. That it is just uh, again a relic of the Jim Crow era. It doesn't serve any purpose other than to block good legislation that would uh, allow us to build the true workers' movement. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people recognize that um, the the IUPAT DSA recognizes that, 
and we're, we're, we're incorporating that into our analysis. But luckily, we've seen some movement in the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, a little, you know, it's a little bit zigzaggy, but you know, that filibuster reform is in the realm of possibility. Cool. Um, so that that's this week of action. Uh, then we're also, you know, as part of the campaign, we are trying to mobilize as many DSA chapters and members and and unionists and people as possible. Like it's this this will not get done. This will not get through the Senate uh, without a mass mobilization of people. Right? Like like we saw during the New Deal era, um, and that's based in a strong labor movement. So mm-hmm. uh, that's part of our that's part of our campaign as well. We're making sure that every chapter has a campaign going. Uh, if they need help, we're going to have uh, mem- like experienced organizers on hand to give them the coaching they need to get their campaign up and running. Uh, we're doing trainings on, on how to run a campaign. Uh, we're giving trainings on uh, so that union members know how to talk to their fellow union members about why they need to be involved in this campaign. Mm-hmm. Relational organizing. So it's, it's relational organizing. Which exactly. was something that exactly. was uh, pretty big during the Sanders campaign. I was a part of some of that stuff. That was really, I mean... Fairly simple, honestly, but it's just maintaining and managing, you know, networks of, you know, who talks to who at your workplace, you know, simple like that, you know, mapping out, you know, mapping that out. And how do you talk to them? What do they respond to? Yeah, yeah. I I think most people are not well versed in that. Mm -hmm. It should should come natural to us. Um, I don't think people have uh, flexed that muscle a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think DSA is, is unique and that some people are, are getting a little bit more experience in doing so. But we need we need more people doing that, right? Ask, asking your coworker, join me in this phone bank, come help me plan this day of action. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need all of that. We need all hands on deck for this. So uh, that's part of the campaign. And just to sort of flesh out the rest of the timeline, April is going to be another point of emphasis. We want as many chapters as possible to be having a day of action. Right. Whether and that can look a, a few different ways. Right. It could be calling your senators, pressuring your senators in some way to to get on board with filibuster reform. If you're in a key state, show mm-hmm. up to your to that those senators houses if you can, whatever <laughs> it takes to put the heat on them and get them to see that they need to respond to us mm-hmm. uh, and that there's a mass, you know, there's a mass number of people behind this. And then and then lastly, the the made it made it, you know, International Workers Day. Yeah, uh, we want we want people out in the streets, and it can't just be DSA. No, it's got it's going to have to be unions, uh, community groups, everyone out in full force on those days. Now, uh, you know, I say out in full force, but you know, it, it's going to be up to like you know individual like locales to decide whether they're going to be doing something virtual or in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the COVID numbers are trending in the, in a positive direction, and vaccination rates are too. We're nowhere near where we need to be, but hopefully by May Day we'll we'll have people um, able to go out safely and participate in May Day. Yeah, you know, just to kind of as like a little bit of an aside, I just looked ahead in the calendar, and it's like it's almost a shame when May Day falls on a Saturday when it falls on a weekend. You know, so it's like, oh man, we can't like yeah. at least like many many people who work you know nine to five monday through fridays wouldn't have the opportunity to sort of like you know not show up to work for that day or, or you know it's, it's a lot it's a lot harder to raise hell on a weekend <laughs> this during the week right right yeah I'm, you know I, it's funny because i i ever since joining dsa right I, I hear this sort of refrain that we need to stop planning actions on the weekend because they're, they're just not disruptive enough mm-hmm. uh you're not disrupting the normal flow of things. And if we That's just wait for our, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, I think it, it's, uh, it cuts both ways. We're probably going to have a lot more people out yeah. on, on May day this year, but uh, it's not going to be as disruptive as if it was during the week. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in order for people to get involved with the um, DSA campaign uh, for passing the pro act, where can people look to, and we can, say this again at the end, but where can people look to find that information? Where where would you go uh, to sort of support the PRO Act more generally and then also plug into the uh, DSA program of it? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, you can check out the D- the National DSA uh, website. Uh, we have a page that's, uh, you know, if you go to dsausa.org slash PRO Act, uh, you'll be re- redirected to some of our resources. Um, and you can also find different ways to get involved. So that might be signing up for a phone bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, we're ha- this is a week of action for phone banks. 
you can also plug into the national campaign. You have some uh, some skills on how to commu like do communications, how to do, you're good at spreadsheets, uh, you are a union member and you know how unions function and how they work and how to mobilize them, like sign up, right? We want people to sign up because we need a, we need to expand our capacity as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and importantly, you know, if, if, if you're listening to this and you hear, you know, you, you like what the, you know, you, you agree that we need to pass the PRO Act, uh, those people should go back to their, and go back to their unions or find a way to engage unions and get them to, to, to throw down on this fight. Cause uh, you know, the, like I said, the, the labor movement is largely behind it, but the job of the sort of activist layer mm -hmm. of unionists to, to mobilize those, those, uh, those unions and their resources. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point. And even uh, like there, this might be a little bit more difficult, but if you have any connections with uh, you know, any of these building trades specifically like the painters, uh, union, uh, you should probably reach out to them and say, "Hey, how can we support you in, in this pro in this proact campaign? How can we get this passed? What are y'all doing?" And you can just sort of show solidarity in that way as well. Um, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We have Daniel Dominguez from the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission. Uh, he's also a union organizer on the program. Uh, we we're talking about the proact. We actually changed gears a little bit, um, and we've been talking also a lot. Uh, on this program about the uh, Amazon Workers Union in uh, Bessemer, Alabama, uh, there's a big union drive out there. I guess what are you seeing from from where you're at, and then we can get into a little bit of like where DSA is more generally on uh, showing some support for uh, the workers out there, because uh, I mean, obviously we're in favor of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this has been you know just. Watching it has been so exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, seeing that six thousand Amazon workers, are, you know, have have a shot at winning a union is just incredible. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us are tampering our, our sort of expectations. Um, and from the beginning, a lot of us had, you know, I, I think we had, you know, real and, and, and valid doubts about whether this was a real uh, a campaign with a real path to victory. Uh, you know, I think a couple months in, I think a lot of people are really, really excited. Um, there's been a lot of community support um, in Birmingham. Uh, I'm sorry, in Bessemer and, and Birmingham, surrounding areas. Yeah, Birmingham uh, DSA really, has like, been huge in this. What was that? Birmingham DSA has been huge in, in this campaign, and from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, they've been you know they've been showing up um, you know on a daily basis, letting the workers know that the community supports them. They have mm -hmm. their back. Uh, and I, I think that's what's great about DSA. Uh, we are there to support workers when they're organizing. Um, and being able to show that support, I think, goes a long way. Uh, we actually had a, a, a membership call today, this evening, for the Democratic Social Labor Commission. We got to hear from someone from, from, Best, from the Birmingham chapter who, mm -hmm. who was able to speak to some of what they're doing over there, their solidarity efforts. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the solidarity has been, you know, countrywide, global. Um, I know just today I, I, uh, I participated in a, uh, in a march here in Los Angeles um, that was led by the County Labor Federation here in Los Angeles County. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it was about, a, oh, yeah, it was great. It was almost 200 people showed up on a Monday morning uh, to to march and rally for, for these workers. Um, the, we ended up marching to the uh, the law offices that uh, of the company being used by Amazon. I don't know the name off the top of my head, but they they've hired a, a rather notorious uh, law firm to go in and and bust the union. Mm -hmm. right? Pretty common tactic we uh, in unionization campaigns, especially when you're up against an employer like Amazon. They'll hire a law firm or a consulting firm. Who will come in and you know they're well versed in what it takes to convince people to to vote against their own interests. Um, they're really good at playing you know playing the the friend of the workers. They're super you know I've, I've heard workers tell me about this like people come in they're super friendly, they know how to t they're really good talkers mm -hmm. and uh, so they're well versed in this and so they we we showed up to the offices here in Los Angeles um, with the intent to deliver a letter. Uh, asking them to stop what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, they refused to meet with us. The, the <laughs> claim was that they were not in their offices, but we have reason to believe otherwise. Um, all to say <laughs> Nobody it's, in it's here but us chickens, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You know, it was, it was great in the morning seeing all these people with their, you know, Teamsters jackets, steel workers jackets. Um, you know, it, it was amazing to see just the, the union support today. And, you know, I started thinking, we, re, you know, DSA really needs like a cool, like, jacket that looks like it's a, like a union member jacket. I love those. Oh, things. that would be they, great. They got some, like, right? <laughs> they just have some random, you know, some sort of old, old-timing graphics on the back sometimes. Yeah. They look so cool. That's one of the things that I've kind of been critical of DSA over is that the graphic design is too good. It needs to be a little bit crappier so that it could look more like a union shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got too many hit designers. We got to go a little bit old school. Uh, uh, need, need to get some like cool baseball caps and yeah. union jackets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, like, like the the. the, the the one jacket that I see him selling, I know we're getting a little bit off, is that like really kind of like swank looking satin jacket from like the seventies. And I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, that looks cool, but it also looks too cool. <laughs> I can't pull it off. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just been, it's been really uh, invigorating to see that, that there's, you know, there's a, a revitalized, I think, although still small, uh, movement for, for for workers' rights. Um, just the fact that, like I saw, like I said, there were 200 people out there at eight, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, ready to march and rally for people across the country. It's just, mm -hmm. it's inspiring. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And uh, you know, we, uh, I know we're gonna have Blanca on later on this week, but she drove her little, you know, her car, you know, to, uh, you know, from Arkansas to Alabama, and she went knocking on doors, you know, canvassing with workers. It's amazing stuff, you know. Just seeing the solidarity coming like directly from me, and she, you know, she's, you know, Blanca's the best. <laughs> this is your, this is your yeah, moment of, yeah. of appreciation for Blanca for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's willing to go anywhere, do whatever it takes mm -hmm. to to really show that solidarity. I remember her going, uh, I think, to South Carolina during the primaries yeah. to, to canvas for Bernie, and she she's at it again in, in, in Bessemer. So and she drove up uh, to Chicago for the teacher strike up there. When I flew up there, she drove from Arkansas. <laughs> incredible <laughs> yeah so it's uh yeah oh cool and and so um i know that that dsa has been like we recently released a statement of support for the workers as well so you know there's there's a lot going on in terms of um yeah showing support for that program for that uh, drive i mean it would be so meaningful if we can get this you know this this union to be approved by the by the you know by the workers out there i mean the way that um i've seen our you see articles and you see all these other things about how uh there's been like hundreds of calls or thousands of calls uh to unions like uh, retail and wholesale uh, department store workers union, just inquiring more workers in more locations inquiring about like, how do we get a union here too? So like, it's already kind of gotten that, you know, the, 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 you know, energy moving on this particular, you know, on this particular idea. And I mean, a, a victory would obviously like be a huge shot in the arm of that. Yeah, no, I think this goes back to the PRO Act, right? It's it's mm -hmm. not that that workers don't want unions, like that they, they they unions they want unions pull it like eighty percent or something, like something crazy high. They're super popular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so like like I, I think yeah, I think that the numbers are like in the 60s, 70s. Like oh. if, if you had the chance to have a union, like would you want one? And it's like yeah, people want one, um, but we don't see that level of activity because people like they it's almost like they implicitly know how difficult it is mm -hmm. uh like there's uh, again to, they're not the wrong common, and they're not wrong they're not wrong like one of the common themes i i hear when i talk to a worker is you know am i going to get fired yeah and it's like uh you know you have to balance that i i have it's like legally you cannot be fired right legally you cannot be fired mm -hmm. uh doesn't mean it doesn't happen um, right. So how do how do you get someone to work through that very real fear of can I lose my job for organizing um, when on paper the the truth you know it's like well there, there's laws in place to protect you but in practice uh, the you know it, the ruling usually comes down in the favor of the employer because the burden of proof is so high for a worker to to prove that they were fired for mm -hmm. organizing um, so you know it's not that workers don't know that they need protection it's just that they. The the, the the labor the workers movement uh, has just been beaten down 
Uh, we, we haven't seen major victories uh, in the past couple of years. I mean, there, there's some, you know, few and far between, though. Uh, you know, you, you see, you hear, sometimes you hear of, uh, you know, a couple hundred, maybe a thousand nurses unionizing. Uh, you, you know, a couple of years ago, you saw the teachers striking. Um, but it's, it's just not enough. It's mm-hmm. just not enough. We, we do not see the large scale victories that would really inspire hope in people. So, um, you know, again, the, the pro act, we need the pro act to really like yeah, mm-hmm. give, give it a shot in the arm. Or yeah, the, the pro act fight and the uh, the pro act fight and the uh, Amazon unions fight are like so deeply connected as well for that very well. Because like if if it does become if 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 the pro act passes, for example, and this union is approved, then they will be guaranteed a contract as well. It's sort of like it all sort of jives together, and it would also be more opportunities for people in other places to organize a union because a lot of those, you know, bad policies or bad laws will be rolled back. So, yeah, it's, it's just it, it, it all all flow together. In yeah, fact, if I want to be like super big brain about it, you I could bring Green New Deal in there. But you go ahead. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, what I was going to say, it's, you know, Amazon, the reason Amazon's putting up such a big fight isn't because like having a contract here is going to like really hit, like hurt their bottom line. No, uh, like, in fact, it, in fact, this- it, it, it costs them money. They're, they're, they're spending like $10,000 a day on, on these union busting law firms. Like you were talking about, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. no. No, yeah, yeah, like exactly right. They're willing to spend all this money up front, and, and it's not be- again not because they just want to. They don't want to have a contract in this one place. It's because they know if there's a victory here, that that will inspire workers and in other facilities to also want to unionize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's the you know that's their fear here, um, and they know that if they can crush it here. It's going to be a while before we hear of, of Amazon workers organizing again. Yeah, they want to make an example. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, not to lose the thread too much, Mm-mm. but, um, you know, our, our proact campaign, um, it's, it's, it's sort of like a, a longer campaign. We, we, it's very much tied to uh, the eco-socialist vision we have in, in PSA. Um, you know, we, we know that we're nearing the tipping point where uh, if we don't take the necessary action, we'll, uh, we're basically doomed to to live on an un, un, uninhabitable planet down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so we th- there's a recognition there that we will not secure a green future without a strong labor movement now. Mm-hmm. So um, it's very much, a, you know, I, I hate to use this word because it gets overused, but it's an inter- intersectional campaign, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's a labor movement campaign. It's, it's an environmental campaign um, because it, without an, anyone with an out, hundreds of hundreds of thousands millions of new unionized workers we won't get to mm-hmm. something like what we call a green new deal yeah and I, I i don't know if you were prepared to talk about this i know i didn't talk to you about it beforehand but but the green new deal i think about that a lot uh as well yeah. um and i guess to sort of start like with no pro act there will be no green new deal there will be it, it seems to me that these things are all tied you know like you were saying earlier like the freaking filibuster in the senate you that's a prerequisite to get the pro act and the pro act is a prerequisite from at least in my opinion to getting the green new deal uh which is like something that is almost like you know catac- like it sounds apocalyptic a little bit it almost sounds a little bit silly that you're talking about it but like if we don't have a huge scale like reshuffling and reorientation of like how our economy works from you know <laughs> from you know you know, about a stern, basically, uh, you know, we're basically the, the damage to the earth is going to be like irreparable to a certain extent. Um, but I, I wanted to speak the specifically about the green new deal and their involvement in the product campaign one. And that's part of why I think that they're involved with the product campaign. And then two, uh, I want to talk maybe a little bit about the green new deal and how that, can be potentially sold almost like primarily as a jobs program because I think that that's, uh, but we can get into that in a minute. So I guess uh, talk about yeah, the involvement yeah. of uh, the Green New Deal com- um, committee and what, what's been sort of the connections there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, you know I, I don't want to sound all doom and gloom. It's a, you know I, I yes the proact 
is is we, we, I can't help myself. I'm very doomy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you know. I'll be I'll be quite frank. I'm not. I don't. I'm not an expert on science. Um, I I but I trust what 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 uh, more knowledgeable people tell me. And so yeah, it it is hard to not fall into. Do they that still talk about know... people's humors in science? Is that still science? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know i i, I don't want it to, to seem like if we if we don't pass the pro act the the possibility of of winning these these other transformative reforms are are, not, are foreclosed upon mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know if that's true but i, I also don't know that it, it's that it is true right so mm-hmm. um anyways uh so yeah uh, so th- this campaign is being uh led by some of us on the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission, and then the other half of our team is from the Green New Deal Campaign Committee. So they, uh, very talented organizers who who come to this campaign with a an analysis that, like, as labor organizers, we're not always fully aware of. Um, and you know, I, I will admit also that I'm not well versed in the Green New Deal. Yeah. Uh, my, I know it's 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 sort of like a body of uh, of different policies that have to do with with eventually having a green economy here. Um, so some of that would look like transitioning away from fossil fuels um, and, you know, job cre- and, and creating new jobs in non-extractive industries, uh, mm-hmm. whether that be in renewable energies or in the care industry, right? Because we know what we have an aging population um, that's going to need uh, caring for. They're, they're going to they're gonna need people to care for them. And it's, it's a, you know, that is a green job. You know, it, it, it it helps us care for for our our people in the country. It it's, it it doesn't extract resources. It doesn't pollute the earth, mm-hmm. and it's a necessary part of what we need to do in our society uh, going forward. Um, so yeah, so and and so this campaign, like I was mentioning earlier, is tied to a, a jobs guarantee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, and and that jobs guarantee is tied to the creation of jobs in these non-extractive industries, uh, because currently. Uh, while we have, you know, well, well, I think the unemployment rate is, is dece- it's very deceiving, right, to, to think that, well, uh, low unemployment, things are going great, uh, but it doesn't speak to the reality of the work, you know, the, the what workers experience. A lot, of, uh, a lot of us are finding ourselves in jobs that are, in, you know, in precarious circumstances, precarious situation where um, we see a lot of this in the gig economy, one of the one of the most stark examples, um, you know, after Prop 22 passed here in Los in California, which basically relegated a, a lot of these like gig type of work uh, jobs to uh, independent contractor status, uh, which uh, you know basically uh, it makes it extremely difficult for them to ever ever unionize. Um, mm-hmm. But something we saw here locally was Vons, which is a retail grocery uh, chain here in, in Southern California. And, and another one, I can't remember the name, but they laid off their uh, delivery drivers uh, because as we know in the pandemic, a lot of people needed their groceries delivered. So they, they laid off their workforce that was, you know, uh, their deliverers and hired gig workers mm-hmm. because they know they can get, they know they can pay them less. They're not their employees. So they never have to worry about the union. I remember hearing this story like it was almost like immediate like they basically were like oh yeah if this happens if prop 22 passes nothing's gonna happen y'all are gonna be fine whatever then immediately they just fire everybody (laughs) and just start contracting with like uh not DoorDash what's the one where they go in the stores and do the you know shopping yeah, 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 yeah. Like, um, ah, man, yeah, I'm bl- there's so many right now, yeah. apps and Lees and all these things. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. So th- that's what we're, you know, we a lot of workers find themselves in these situations. Um, you know, I myself, I've I've done Lyft driving before. That was when I was in college, mm-hmm. um, I, and I had a full time I had a full time job uh, that paid a decent wage for Los Angeles. It wasn't great. It didn't allow me to live in comfort. I still was renting a room and, and all that, but. In order to supplement my income, I uh, I started doing Lyft, uh, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's it, it it's it's a job, right? You're you're not an independent contractor. You don't have any freedom by any means. Um, so, you know, people really need to stop believing that propaganda. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you are beholden to Lyft or Uber, or whoever, and they are your employer. Like, uh, you know, I think a lot of more you know smarter people than me have have really been able to elaborate that. <laughs> Lyft and Uber and all these all these companies are really just they're really just mystifying what they do right yeah. like through their app like they're not doing something innovative or new like you're just like you're just further alienating 
can do uh, and putting the burden on them. That's all that like the, 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 the sort of like the cost of maintaining a car. Uh, if you get into an accident while you're out, uh, any number of things like the, the, the burden is shifted over to the driver. So it, it's, it's, it's really something that I think we're, we're, we're going to be seeing more of. Um, I, I mean, we already are. Mm-hmm. I know in the initial days of the PROACT campaign, we saw a flurry of, uh, you, know, inde- you know, I'm saying this in quotes, independent contractors coming out against the PROACT because they... Oh, my gosh. The cl- yeah. The <laughs> yeah, freelancers. The, tweets, the yeah. freelancers are at it again. <laughs> <laughs> Just like completely unhinged completely fabricated lies about the pro act uh-huh. that the, they claim would change their employment status. And it just really speaks to like their lack of understanding of the pro act because mm-hmm. the pro act does not affect like employee uh, relationship, like what the employee's relationship is with their employer. It just amends the national labor relations act, which you know, has uh, the, the purview of that is labor organizing. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, to circle back. Yeah. We're, we're, it's just, a trend I think we're going to continue to see with uh, this push to independent contractor status um, that all it does is shift the burden away from uh, from the company, from the employer onto the employee. And uh, again, just to bring it back full circle is why we as socialists, as part of this campaign, we, we have a long-term vision of a federal jobs guarantee, yeah. a jobs guarantee that would give everyone a uh, a, a decent standard of living, right? Not just a, a baseline of, you know, $15 an hour minimum wage is a necessary fight that we need to have. I'm not mm-hmm. saying we, we shouldn't focus on that, but even I think most people recognize that $15 an hour is still barely livable if, if it is livable. Like in Los Angeles, it would not. Like $15 an hour, you you, you just cannot survive on $15 an hour. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, I don't want to like relive the like first couple of weeks of the Biden administration and all the like drama surrounding their failure or unwillingness to fight around the fifteen dollars an hour thing. But uh, just, I'm still pretty ticked off about that one. <laughs> you know, Slay Queen, yeah. Ubu, uh, Kirsten Cinema with the big old like thumbs down while trying to get Mitch McConnell's attention. Hey, Mitch, check it out! Oh my God, it was so pathetic. <laughs> Yeah, no, this it's uh, there's yeah. no for, uh, lower form yeah. of life on this earth than a U.S. senator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what are things like in your in your union currently, Jeff? Uh, so as of right now, I'm a teacher, right? Uh, so, so real quick before I get to that, I need to do station ID one more time. Uh, you listen to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, we have Daniel Dominguez, who's a union organizer and a member of the Democratic Socialist Labor Commission of DSA. Uh, Democratic Socialist America. Uh, so you just asked me what things are like in my union. I tell you what, um, we have been back in school because uh, I'm a teacher. Uh, for folks who might uh, not listen uh, or might be the first time listening, I'm a teacher, and we have been back in school, like literally in person in school since September. Like for the most part, there were like these programs where you know some of the kids would be virtual and. Um, you know, some of them would be in person and essentially the teachers would have to teach both at the same time. And this is something that like every I've been on leave myself for the past um, since September because uh, I have family members that uh, really can't they have immune problems and asthma. And so they can't get covid like very close family members that I would you know see every day. Um, so but I've been definitely keeping in touch and, and uh, been sort of a part of the, you know, organizing process with, with a lot of that stuff. Uh, we have a group right now uh, in, uh, sorry, in uh, largely it's based in, in my district, uh, Jefferson Parish, called Louise, Jefferson, um, oh, I'm sorry, Louisiana Educators United, where we uh, do, you know, a little bit of like grassroots type organizing. Um, through it's kind of a little bit of a rank and file strategy ish but like it's it's not people coming in and getting jobs in that sector it's people that are already doing those jobs organizing with one another so it's like not exactly the same or at least it's not ex- exactly the same of that sort of description of it but um yeah it's 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 sort of like that we actually just recently um some of our some of our members uh announced that they're going to be running for the leadership of my union now as well which is really interesting that's great. That's great. Um, what uh, What is that campaign looking like? What's it shaping up like? Uh, do Do people think there's a real shot at winning? Or? 
Uh, I mean, I think that there's a, a real chance at winning. Uh, there's a certain, like, so whether, like, when, my sort of orientation towards this has been, like, win, lose, or draw, organizing needs to happen in this union. And, um, you know, there's a sense that um, people are not getting sort of the, you know, so, sort of the... Um, they don't have spaces to sort of plug into the work that the union currently has. Uh, so what, what they kind of, what my, you know, the you know, brothers and sisters uh, with LEU are doing is essentially create that space and, um, you know, find ways to get members more organized sort of in a, in a more general sense um, in terms of possibility of winning. If the, if the organizing happens correctly, they could win. If not, if the organ or even if it does and they don't win, um, you can have a large base of, of organized members that can uh, can push forward. Go you know, after so I'm like I'm I'm sort of like looking at all sides of the of the situation. But um, the Jefferson Parish School Board has been dreadful. Our superintendent has been uh, <laughs> just absolutely terrible. Just. Um, there's a lot of like from, uh, administration, this, like, everything's fine. We only have like 0.02% of like students or teachers in quarantine. Like they're, they're just coming up with these ridiculously small, like seemingly negligible numbers to like underplay the absolute nightmare that a lot of educators and a lot of kids and a lot of their families have been going through this year. A lot of toxic now, positivity. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I, is a term uh, that I hate, but my, it's just, it's there. Yeah, my, uh, you know, it, it, I think we've reached the point where it's it's almost inevitable that, that, that teachers are going to be returning to the classroom. I know you've been in, in the classroom since mm -hmm. September, uh, but over here in California, it, it's, it's been, you know, at least in, in Los Angeles County, this district, uh, teachers have, have not been asked to return until now recently. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, UTLA, one of the strongest union teacher unions in the country, one of the most militant unions in the country, uh, you know, I, I, I think they, they put up a fight as long as they could, mm -hmm. um, but they, they signed an agreement to go back to back to school um, with, you know, with the safety measures that they, they asked for, that they demanded. Mm -hmm. So that's good. But, you know, overall, it does seem like the there's just not the support there to, to keep kids out of school. Right. And mm -hmm. then. And what I mean by keep kids out of school, right, is learning from home. Like, yeah. yes, distance learning is not ideal, but, um, you know, people are not vaccinated at the rates that, that we need to be vaccinating them. Like my, my uh, you know, my girlfriend is going back to teach in East Los Angeles um, or the eastern part of the city where mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a heavily Latino district uh, or neighborhoods. And they, we know that vaccination rates are not what they need to mm -hmm. be and, and infection rates are still high over there. So it's. Oh, wow. it's 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 uh yeah it's it's you know it's uh it's frustrating to to have to deal with sort of the misinformation coming from people who are pushing back on or who are pushing teachers to get back into the mm -hmm. classroom so it's uh i just hope we don't see like a, a wave of more teacher deaths yeah i recently heard just like there's been hundreds of teachers the pandemic mm -hmm. just an unbelievable number it's, it's like yeah it's really wild because like I don't even know necessarily that like there is this popular groundswell of people who are just like we must get our kids to go back to these dangerous schools that have poor ventilation and you know while COVID's happening or whatever but there's this like like and this is my sort of like you know big brain like grand strategy of like what the what they're doing is essentially like when schools are like officially like when you can't go to the building they're that kind of closed you're sending a very very clear signal that things are not normal in the society and you need to behave as though things are nor not normal but if you can send the yeah. kids to school uh and, and and try to get them out of your hair for a couple of hours or whatever and you know that that's um sort of like you know probably an oversimplification or whatever but like if it, you can at least say well the kids are at school things are things are at least kind of normal when we need to be kind of constantly keeping in the forefront of our mind that that that, that, that we cannot accept that the the, the the reality of covid right now is a normal thing or a desirable thing we need to like maintain visuals i don't know i i think about that a lot and almost like the um 
people freak out about masks and stuff like that too and like the mask wearing is is um like one of the things that I reasons I think they just like to push against them and it, it sort of like goes into these conspiracies is that is a visual symbol that things are not normal right now in the world. And if it's gone, people can just sort of pretend that it's that it's better, you know, and that you don't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah, I think we just said that, that, that that's, you know, that seems that resonated with me because I, I've been thinking about the past few days. It's like, what, what, what is behind the push to, to get kids back into school into physical learning? And it can't, it can't be that these people really care about their education because I, I don't see them getting a, a great education just because they're in physical proximity mm-hmm. to each other. There's going to be like plexiglass around them. Uh, they're probably going to have to deal with their classmates getting sick. And we may even see like, you know, deaths, uh, a wave of deaths as a result of this move to the mm-hmm. back to school. But I, I think it's part, I think what you said, you know, it's, it's true that people want a return to normalcy. They, they don't want to have to look around and, and accept that things are not normal, that uh, people are dying, preventable deaths. Uh, and, you know, because I, I, it's, you know, it's not like school, I, at least for, in my analysis, schools are not a profit making uh, operation. Not public um, schools. So why, why do we want, <laughs> right. Not, right. Like, so it's like, why do we want kids back in school? And, it, and mm. it, I think that's it. Right. I think mm. we know that it's people want to see, want feel normal again it's all a part of, well and it's a it's a, it's a it's a push coming from like the ruling class to essentially like like if the schools are open then the bait the, the you know the, the workers have babysitters for their kids so then they can then return to work and that's sort of like the the progression that i see as well you know what i mean yeah yeah and it was like you know kind of like the freelancer thing against the pro act it was mm-hmm. you know to me and at least in my estimation it was total astro astroturf campaign like you said mm-hmm. there's no real groundswell from parents um, mm-hmm. and usually what we see is like the more uh, the more middle class upper middle class uh sector of our population who are parents who are pushing for it it's of not, all races by the way too yeah it's not like yeah. uh, it's not something that goes across. I mean, I mean, I guess there are more like more white parents, I suppose, are like okay with sending their kids back to their like schools and their gated communities or or, or, or kids that parents that don't even have in, in private schools. But I mean, they will essentially um, the ruling class will often highlight um, you know multi you know multiple different sort of like you know background and ethnicity people to sort of say see because because one of the things that happens a lot is, is uh they'll say that oh you know these you you, you want to deny these kids and black you know black kids in, in you know poor communities you know their schooling and when you, you actually ask the parents most of the parents or whatever um what they think about going back to school they're against it but if they can find a couple of them they'll they'll make sure that they're they get the ones that get the, the speaking time and the camera time Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, they're they're pretty good. They they know sort of uh, how to run these astroturf campaigns. Mm-hmm. You got to find a, a a diverse crowd yeah. of people who are willing to to, to spout your message. And, and it's really, I mean, that's just so so unbelievably like <laughs> it's 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 vicious. You know, it's it's really sad. But what are you gonna do? These are our class enemies. Uh, well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. Good morning, comrade. You're welcome to join us anytime. Uh, yeah, uh, we are on WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. Uh, can you give people more information where they can uh, just find out about the Pro Expert DSA uh, and some more uh, stuff about how they can you know plug in? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this this is. Um, you know, this this cannot be a strictly DSA campaign, although, mm-hmm. you know, I, I encourage people to check out DSA for our campaign. And you can do so by going to dsausa.org slash proact. Uh, and there you'll find a few different links on how to get involved, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's um, doing phone banks, whether it's, uh, you know, organizing within your union, uh, organizing your coworkers in any any place you work, really. So uh, again, people, we, we, we need as many people uh, out in the streets, out organizing for it, talking to coworkers, talking to neighbors about what the PRO Act is. Mm-hmm. And I think DSA is doing a phenomenal job of uh, demystifying the PRO Act because ultimately it's a piece of legislation and we want to be able to talk about it fluently with our coworkers in a way that resonates with what they're going through. 
uh, what they want to see in, in, in a fighting labor movement. So DSA is doing a tremendous job at mm-hmm. that. Um, but we, we won't win this without a mass mobilization. So yep. uh, that, that's, all I'll, that's all I'll say. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, brother. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we're going to pass this thing. All right, folks, you can listen to Good Morning Comrade on... Uh, did you want to say something on the way out? Oh, okay. <laughs> you can listen to Good Morning Comrade on WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. You can also get more information about our show, uh, goodmorningcomrade.com. You can also uh, watch me live every day from 8 Central till 9 Central uh, on Good Morning Comrade Live on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com. Just search Good Morning Comrade. Uh, thanks again, brother. Hi, everybody. Yeah.